Can you imagine if that had a leak? Can you imagine if it had been turned over and then it's over? But here, let me tell you this. When God saves, God saves. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, and the president of Dayspring Bible College in Mundelein, Illinois. Hi, this is Jim Scudder, and welcome to November here on this Wednesday, November 1st. We're going to continue our series, Is the Old Testament Obsolete? And I think you'll be delighted when you hear about the obsolete item that I brought to the auditorium and I showed to a young man. Uh, you're going to learn what that is in just a minute. Don't forget on Wednesdays, we have a TV show I'd love for you to watch on TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Tonight, it's going to be airing part two of Exodus Found, our exciting new journey that we did, our new series that we filmed in Egypt and Saudi Arabia, where I believe we found the real route of the Exodus, the real Red Sea crossing point, and the real Mount Sinai. And so I would love to give you a map that we have. It's free, and it really shows you all the details and some facts about the route of the Exodus. But you'll definitely want to watch the series tonight on TBN, anytime on YouTube. Search for In Grace on YouTube. We ask that you would subscribe, that you would comment, that you'd get alerts, and that you would share these videos with other people because the gospel's on every one of them. And I would hope to hear from you to get your free map of the route of the Exodus when you contact In Grace at 1-800-78-GRACE, 1-800-78-GRACE, or go to ingraceradio.com. Does it ever bother you that things seem to go obsolete the day after you bought it? And that's true with smartphones. I'm not sure how smart they are. Uh, we probably couldn't live without them, but uh, sometimes they're more of a pain than they're worth. We have some obsolete things that we're bringing uh, to you, and we want to see if you know what these are. You might or might not, but we wonder if your kids or grandkids know what some of these things are. So we have another interesting item. Do we have any kids that would like to come up to volunteer? Okay, I got a really excited one. Come on up here. Yep, you, come on up. Hurry on up here. Good. Let's give them a big hand for wanting to do this. All right. What's your name? Jacob. And do you know what this is? I don't know. Well, that's good because so far... Uh, the kids don't know. And I actually didn't know what this was until I did a little research. Some of you do, though, right? If the sock might give it away, a few of you know. So this is a sock darner. Sock darner. Now, do you ever get holes in your socks? Yes. Okay, so I want you to hold that, and I want you to take a pair of these socks. I'm not sure whose these are. Okay, put it inside. All the way in. Now, let's say, you know, where, where do you get holes in your socks? Usually it's here on the toe area. So push that all the way up. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I know. It's like a puppet almost, right? And then once you have that, oh, actually, there is a hole. Look at that. It's not like all the way through yet. So what do we normally do when we have holes in our socks these days? Throw them away. Right. <laughs> Isn't that kind of, kind of bad that we do that? But we do because... Who's going to take the time? So what, what you do is you put the, where the hole is, and there actually is. Can you all see that? Uh, I can't believe whoever socks these are. So what you do is you use this as kind of a, um, a solid object to sew that closed, and it kind of helps you sew it closed. 
Now, they say that you should use a thread that matches the sock. Would that make sense? Yes. Yeah, because then it wouldn't be as noticeable. But somebody suggested that you use a really different color, like hot pink, because then you'll tell everybody that you know how to sew your socks. What do you think? No. No? Okay, good. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's give them a hand, and I want to give you this. And listen, I want you to use that $20 before that goes obsolete, right? Yeah. You used to be able to buy a lot with $20. I don't know about that anymore. So, okay, good job. So the question that we're answering is this. Is the Old Testament obsolete? We call it old. Does it mean that we don't really use it, need it? Is it why is it even in our Bibles? You know, you have two-thirds of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, or it might be better to be called the Hebrew Scriptures or the Older Testament. Does it matter that this is in here? Do we need that part of the Bible? We call it old. Does it mean it's obsolete? And some preachers have actually really minimized the Old Testament. Now, I think we can overemphasize it, and certainly we don't want to do that either, but without the Old Testament, we don't know a lot of what the New Testament is talking about because it's based on this foundation. This is foundational, especially the area that we're in right now, which is Genesis. If you don't understand Genesis, you're not going to understand gender. You know, there's a lot of really confused teenagers right now that, that have this dysphoria, this, you know, I, don't, I, I, I tell you what, almost every teenager has a lot of dysphoria, not just in, in um, gender, but in many, many things. You know, like, you know, just confusion and uncertainty, and maybe they've been teased or made fun of. And so then they said, well, I've been hearing that maybe I was, instead of a girl, maybe I should have been a boy or, or vice versa. And there's a lot of confusion on this. But what Genesis tells us that God made two sexes, two genders. And he made it for a reason, and you're one or the other, and that's, that's a scientific principle. You cannot change that. Okay, so you won't understand a lot of the issues that we're going through today unless you understand the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So we have here a scripture that doesn't change. It's not obsolete. It's important. Now, some of the things that are in the Old Testament don't apply to us today such as the, the Jewish feast days and the, some of the laws that are in there. We, we don't bring lambs to church today. We're in a different age, different dispensation. But those things were important uh, at that time, and we can't negate that. Uh, those were all a picture of the Messiah, the, the different feasts, the different observances. And the, the laws, the Jewish laws, are, are good, but... The problem is we can't keep the law, and we're failing, and one came that could and did. And if we put our faith in him, so can we not only be washed by his blood from our sins, but also we can live the life that he wants us to live by his guidance and power in our lives. And so the Old Testament is foundational. And we need to keep that in mind. What we've been doing, though, is using a, a New Testament passage to springboard and look back into the Old Testament and try to understand what it, the Old Testament was trying to tell us. For instance, look at Luke 3. In verse 36, Luke, the doctor, 
uh, is giving us the lineage of Jesus, and in and he goes back to Adam, and in, in Jesus' lineage, we have the son of Canaan, which was son of Arphaxad, which was the son of, this is Shem, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech. So here we have this person named Noah. We know that one of his sons that was on the ark was Shem, a grandson, I guess, kind of was on the ark through Shem, but we would have been a descendant, all of us, of Noah, and including Jesus. So if this is in the New Testament, and here in another place in 2 Peter, Peter actually refers to Noah and the ark several times in his two letters that he wrote. In 2 Peter 2.5, it says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So if we don't know the Old Testament, we don't know Noah, we don't know the flood, we don't know Shem, we don't know any of that. So that's why it's important for us to know what it says, to study it, to consider it the whole counsel of God, to not neglect it. Now, I really think our focus should be on the New Testament, but we cannot neglect the Old Testament. So how do we do that? Well, many of you are good at reading a psalm or a proverb every day. I think that's really, really good. That's a lot of wisdom there. But go through, go through the Bible. Read through the entire Bible. And everything builds upon the other. So let's go back and, and talk about the flood. And we've been discussing this for several weeks now in our series, Is the Old Testament Obsolete? And today, my title is, What Was the World Like When Noah Got Off the Ark? Now, we already have discussed that the ark could have held all the animals. If you understand the kinds and the size of the ark, it was plenty big. Uh, we've understood where all the water came from and where all the water went. We think of it uh, sometimes as just the rain fell and flooded, and there wouldn't have been enough water in the atmosphere to do that. But the Bible doesn't say just the, the rain from heaven. It says the fountains of the great deep opened. We'll continue to talk about some of the evidence that plate tectonics and the moving of continental plates and the ocean plates uh, were unzipped at the time of the flood, uh, causing these massive geysers of water, filling the atmosphere with moisture, rain coming down. So you have water coming up, the oceans are rising up, water is flooding over the land, the mountains were as high then, and the rain is coming down. All of this happening uh, over weeks, eventually flooding the entire world. The mountains were all covered by 25 feet of water. The entire world was covered. Well, the Bible talks about Noah, right? Look at Genesis 8.1. Uh, now, this is as the flood was starting to regress or recede. God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. So remember, it was Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, eight people. Embark on a journey to explore the inspiring story of the Exodus within grace. Call now for your free Exodus map, 800-78-GRACE. This map depicts the route of the Israelites during their escape from Egypt. When you give $35 or more, you'll receive the Exodus map and our brand new video series, Exodus Found, where Jim Scudder Jr. retraces the Exodus in Egypt and Saudi Arabia diving into the Red Sea to uncover evidence of the miraculous crossing. 
For those giving $250 or more, you will get the complete Exodus package. The map, the video series, and a beautiful, exclusive 16 by 20 canvas print showcasing the miraculous Red Sea crossing. And from now until the end of the year, a generous donor will be doubling all gifts. To get these limited-time exclusive materials, call 800-78-GRACE or visit ingraceradio.com or write to InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. So there's tons of evidence. How about all the coal deposits? Look at all the coal deposits on the United States even today. I looked this up today, and they say of the known recoverable coal deposits, there's 435 years left of coal. Now, we were in Alaska, and Karen and I were taking this hike, and another couple was coming up, and he was so excited because he had what looked like a black rock, and he was really excited about this and animated. He had an accent, so it was hard to understand him, but we finally figured out that he had picked up a piece of coal from the beach. Like, well, that's cool. So we went down to another beach, and we picked up coal. And I'm not going to tell my grandkids what we're going to give them for Christmas this year. (laughs) But we actually had a little firebox in Alaska, and it was cold out even in July. So we put some of the coal in there, and it burned. It was so cool. You just pick it up off the beach. There's all this coal. Coal is vegetation that's been put under pressure and heat, and we have it all, these huge deposits of coal all over. We also have huge deposits of oil still. There's a one and a half trillion barrels of, oil, of recoverable oil, known deposits of oil. Where did all this come from? Well, it had to have come from all this lush vegetation, all the world suddenly being buried and uh, forming these carbon fuels that we use today. Bless us. Now, what about volcanic ash? Well, we have these huge deposits of volcanic ash. These would have been massive volcanoes that would have been starting during the flood and after the flood. Remember, It would have taken a while for the earth to settle back down after all this upheaval, these continents moving, the plates subducting. Remember the subducting plates that went, the ocean crust that went under the the continental plates are still uh, cold. They should have been warmed up if it was millions of years, but they're cold. So again, it all points to thousands and not millions of years uh, since this cataclysm event. But I mean, these would have been massive, massive uh, volcanoes. and, And again, the world took a while to settle back down. Okay, Genesis 8.4 says, the ark rested on in the seventh month. So do you all remember when the flood started? It was the second month. It was the middle of the month. Now on the seventh month, the 17th day, the ark rested. The ark rested. So it finally comes down upon the mountains of Ararat. Now usually we just say it came down on Mount Ararat. But this says the mountains of Ararat. And and here's the thing. There is a place in northeast Turkey. It used to be Armenian, but when the Armenia, but when the maps were redrawn, this mountain that is still called today Mount Ararat uh, had this history as being the mountain that the ark came down on. Now, can we find the ark? Wouldn't that be amazing? Can we go and look for the ark? Many people have. And we've had people here in our church that talked about their trips to go and search for the ark. Now, there's a lot of evidence that people have seen it. I haven't seen enough evidence that makes me positive that they found the ark. 
Uh, if it's there, it's buried in ice right now. Uh, I, I know some really good people that believe it, and there's some real credible people that said they've seen it. Uh, so it's one of those things, right, that it's, it's quite an adventure, maybe a, an in-grace adventure. Oh, by the way, this, this uh, Mount Ararat that we call Mount Ararat today is a volcano, and it's a, a layered volcano. So it erupts, forms another layer, another layer, another layer. And so it, it would seem odd that a, a volcano mountain would be the resting place of the ark. And if it was, wouldn't it be covered with lava or burned up as the lava flowed out? Now, maybe God rose up this mountain. If this is the mountain, it still has that, the history of being Mount Ararat. And, and perhaps it did land there. We don't know. But uh, some people think that it's unlikely that that could be the mountain that is referred to here or the mountains that are referred to here. Either way, we know there was an ark. Now, if we find the ark, would that mean that we'd have millions of people believing in Jesus Christ as their ark of salvation? Unfortunately, I think that even when you have profound evidence, people still refuse to believe. And there's an illustration, isn't there? Uh, there was a man named Lazarus that was a good friend of Jesus, and he got sick, and he died, and, and Jesus came and raised him from the dead. And what did they want to do? Instead of believing that Jesus is the Messiah, they wanted to kill Lazarus and Jesus. So it's, a, it's not always a matter of evidence. I think we have plenty of evidence, plenty of evidence that the Bible is true, and that we do have a creator, and we have rebelled, and we better make it right with him. He's offering us salvation. We can get into the door of the ark of Jesus and be saved from a coming calamity. Just as the world was destroyed, the world will be destroyed again. And there's an eternal lake of fire. How do we avoid that? Jesus, he is the door. You walk through and you can be saved today and forever. And so where is Noah's ark? I just wish I knew. The Bible also talks about they got off the ark they eventually went to the plains of Shinar and built a tower, right? We call it the Tower of Babel. We'll be getting into that in a little bit. So where is that? Well, if you have Mount Ararat, where it is today, and, and where most people think Babel was, which is just south of uh, Baghdad, uh, that's, you know, that's a pretty big distance. I think it's 400 miles as the crow flies. So would it seem like the the... Tower of Babel would have been a little closer because they all stayed in one group. They didn't disperse, as God said, as we'll see here in a second. The animals did. The animals did what was right, what God commanded. Why can't we be so obedient as they did? So the animals would have spread out and repopulated the earth uh, as they should have. Now you say, how would they get to Australia? How would they get to North America if they're all over somewhere in the Middle East, wherever the ark landed? Well, remember, we'll talk about this more, but uh, with all that warm water, you would have had a lot of evaporation, and you have that evaporation going over land and falling as rain and snow, lowering the oceans by hundreds of feet. If you lower the oceans by hundreds of feet, guess what you have? You have land that connects these continents, and that's how these animals could have got across. Others have, have surmised that there might have been these mass floating mats of vegetation from the flood, and they could have drifted across. I don't know, but I'm guessing the land bridge is a more likely a way, and then eventually... When God divided the languages in, after the Tower of Babel, then man eventually dispersed around as well. But the animals had about 100 years or 200 years head start. So I would love to find Noah's Ark. If you have uh, any, uh, any inside information on that, please let me know. And, and also where 
uh, where Babel was. But there's a lot of ideas out there, and people are researching it. And I think it's discoverable if the ark still survives. Now, remember, it was made of wood. So wood decays quickly if it's not buried in something that would keep the oxygen away. Uh, now, it was preserved. The Bible talked about it being pitched on both sides. And so that wouldn't have been an asphalt-type pitch because that would have been something produced during the flood, right? Uh, that would have been a, a carbon material like tar or asphalt. Uh, this would have been probably more of a resin that would come from a tree heated up and impregnating the wood. The gopher wasn't a type of wood. The gopher was a technique of building, and they would have built this interlocking system with this resin uh, that would have soaked into the, to the wood and probably preserved it. So maybe it is still around, and that would be really fun to, uh, to go off and try to find the ark of Noah. But I'm not announcing any trips uh, anytime soon. So can you imagine that in grace? Uh, who wants to go on a search for Noah's ark? Uh, most of you would, would volunteer, I think. So what would it have been like as they were on the ark? They had been floating for five months. Now the ark finally stops floating. What's it like when the ship, you finally get off a ship? We were on a ship for a week, uh, a few weeks ago. And the first night, we were on land. We were firmly in a hotel room on land. And I got up to use the restroom in the middle of the night. And in my mind, we were still on that ship, okay? So you, you just, you developed kind of that, and we, our ship was actually pretty calm. It, it wasn't, a, you know, big waves or anything. But you just always have that little motion you're feeling. What would it have been like getting off after five months? And certainly it would have been very turbulent waters. But I'm sure they were very happy that it had settled down. We're going to hear more about what was the world like when Noah got off the ark tomorrow on our Thursday edition of In Grace. And don't forget, tonight on TBN, you can watch Exodus Found Part 2. And I would love to send you a free map that shows you the details of the route of the Exodus. And it's different than what a lot of people think. Where was the way of the wilderness? Where was the route that they would have taken? Where was the Red Sea crossing? Where was... Mount Sinai. Well, we went to Egypt to find out and Saudi Arabia, and I think you'll really enjoy not only watching the series tonight on TBN or anytime on YouTube or listening to part two on Friday's edition of Ingrace Radio, but having a free map that I would love to send you will really help you understand more of the details of this route. Now, if you want to give a gift to Ingrace, that would be so awesome because we are listener-supported. God has allowed us to pay it forward so that when we heard the gospel, we can share the gospel with other people. When you invest in grace, we're going to say right now, we have a matching gift campaign going on. Your gift is going to be doubled, okay? So that's awesome. It's great stewardship. Now, we're also going to not only send you, if your gift is $35 or more, we're not only going to send you the map, we're, we're going to also send you the full-length four-part video series, Exodus Found. These are much longer than what's on YouTube or TBN, and it's all the information filmed in Egypt by myself and my brother-in-law, Neil. You're going to really enjoy this series, and I'd love to send that to you as a thank you for your gift of 35 or more. Now, we have a 
beautiful print that we've made. It's the Red Sea parting. It's Moses and the people of Israel. And you can actually see the shadow of whales in the walls of water. And I love this. This is done by an artist here in our ministry. And I want to send this to you as a thank you for your gift of $250 or more. Now, I know that's a lot of money, but remember, your gift is going to be doubled and you're going to have a piece of canvas artwork on your wall. Beautiful, beautiful portrait of the Red Sea parting. And I would love to thank you for your generous gift to In Grace by sending you not only the print, but also the video series and the map, again, for your gift of $250 or more. Now, In Grace is listener supported. We really, really need your help to make sure we can give more people the gospel and show them the truth of scripture. Contact us today, 1-800-78-GRACE or ingraceradio.com. Call now for your free Exodus map, 800-78-GRACE. When you give $35 or more, you'll receive the Exodus map and the video series, Exodus Found. For gifts of $250 or more, you will also receive a beautiful, exclusive 16 by 20 canvas print showcasing the miraculous Red Sea crossing. Also, a generous donor is matching all gifts until the new year. Call 800-78-GRACE. Visit ingraceradio.com or write to InGrace, P.O. Box 9. Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on In Grace Radio with Jim Scudder Jr. In Grace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio. Radio.